Hello, dear listener. I have something truly special to share. It's an exclusive invitation to join me in Mexico for an intimate and luxurious three-day retreat along the beautiful Pacific coast of Zihuatanejo, taking place the weekend of the spring equinox, March 18th through the 20th. There's also an optional day to stay through the 21st for some special ceremonies that are happening in the area for the equinox. But the retreat itself is the 18th through the 20th, really an opportunity not to be missed. And I'm offering one lucky listener a discounted ticket. On this weekend that I've, I've just been loving into being actually for several years now as COVID and you know everything, but when we conceived of building this place, our home down here it's really what we envisioned, you know, bringing people down here for retreats, for trainings, because we felt and we knew that this space was special. And as people keep coming down and we keep getting the feedback, how magical it is, we want to share it in a really intentional way. You know, be working with the four elements, earth, air, fire, water, the metaphors of the season will set sight on a new vision for our mothering journey and creating a deeper connection to self and mother nature. So to win a discounted ticket, rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it and DM it to me on Instagram at Dr. Gertrude Lyons. And remember, the most important thing to mother is yourself. Give yourself permission to take a retreat this year. Besides, who said mothers can't go on a spring break? I'll see you there. Hello, and welcome to Rewrite the Mother Code. I'm Dr. Gertrude Lyons, a professional life coach, exploring, demystifying, and democratizing the maternal power that lives in all women. The experience of mothering may not necessarily mean what you think it means. I believe that mothering is a vehicle for transformation, whether or not we have children. And together, we can start a new conversation around modern motherhood. On this show, we will redefine what it means to mother and untap the powerful feminine within you. Are you ready to rewrite the mother code? This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, I have the privilege and honor of interviewing and being with, interview sounds kind of funny because I don't think, really think of it as an interview, but anyway, um, with Jonathan Stancato. And he is the rated number one voice coach in New York City on Yelp. And that doesn't come easy. <laughs> Anyone, you know, if there's any place that's going to have the toughest critics, it'll, it will be in New York. And he has done this by his authentic way and in a very untraditional way of, of voice coaching. And it goes beyond, you know, singing. I personally came in touch with him because I wanted support with my speaking. And I had some inklings of things I wanted to work on personally around my voice as well in the singing realm. So I've gotten to know Jonathan over the last couple of years. Um, he has supported me immensely at so many levels. And we got to sit down and talk about and relate what he does and the way he supports people with voice and how it's not that dissimilar and actually very similar to how we endeavored to look at mothering as a vehicle for transformation and the parallels with that and the richness and beauty that can come when we start looking at the beliefs culturally and from our upbringings 
that have gotten in the way of us fully utilizing and having the an, an authentic voice. But even better than that, you know, authentic is finding pleasure in our voice. And I get to share about, you know, a little bit about my journey with that. Jonathan shares his journey and it's really an exciting episode. So I hope you use it as one of the ways to start thinking about how you want to use your voice in the new year. Welcome, Jonathan, to my podcast. Happy to be here. Very happy to be here. Well, I feel immensely blessed and grateful to have you and um, looking forward to what we're going to be with and talk about today and be able to share you know, with my audience. And they're going to be super blessed to have your wisdom and your insight and everything you have to share. And I'll say a little bit, but kind of about myself in relationship with you. So I found you, oh my gosh, now I have to remember. 43 years ago, ago, I think. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Cosmically, who knows when we found each other, but in this time, space and realm, I think it's been a year and a half or so. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw you on a, on, on another, in another format and was so inspired and impressed by the work we had in just, I think about 45 minutes together in a group with you and your work and voice. So I was spurred to contact you and I had no idea that it would turn into this beautiful journey together of, I kind of went saying, you know, one for speaking, I think this would be helpful. And two, my daughter has this beautiful voice. And quite honestly, I was thinking like, if he's really good, then he'll be great for her. Right. So it's this parent thing. We'll talk about this more, Um, but whatever it takes. Right. And uh, it turns out, you know, it's been, it has been about voice, but so much more. And it's, it's so many, so complex and layered and beautiful. And I'm so grateful for the part you've played in my journey with rewrite the mother code. And Mm. so you, you know, you were in the top of my list of people Mm. when I started a podcast of who I could have, because it's all about my voice, right? Right. Not all about, but it certainly is significant. So well, it's been so thrilling to be a witness on your journey here. I I feel like I I got in maybe not the ground floor, but like the third floor (laughs) and, (laughs) and being able to watch you ride that very smooth escalator up with all of this work Mm -hmm. has been so beautiful to, to be, be existing and supportive. Thank you. And we're going to have your information and I'm sure there'll be people who are going to want to contact you uh, for a whole variety (laughs) of reasons. Um, Just even mainly because you're a wonderful human, but uh, for their support in their lives. And so we'll have all that in the show notes, but uh, I would still love to have you share a little bit about yourself and your background and, and whatnot. So we can verbally tell people about you. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, it's tricky to know where to begin. I knew we were going to be doing something about the background and I feel like my background with the voice begins as soon as I had a voice, right? Know, at right? all. Yeah. Uh, but I guess just to work in reverse order, I, I have a practice that I have created that I call inside voice. And, uh, that practice has been the container through which I relate to a lot of different sorts of human beings. Some of them are professional singers looking to increase their expressiveness, to increase their range, to feel uh, better about their voice, to pivot into new directions. Some of them are professional speakers who are looking to do all those things in terms of the content of their relationship to their voice, but also sometimes the content that they're speaking to. And I help them develop the work itself that they're speaking about. And then there are all sorts of people who I support with 
the simple idea that their voice is the audible expression of themselves. And sometimes the most beautiful way to take a look at some patterns in our lives that have maybe become so entrenched as to feel like they are reality as opposed to just patterns. Uh, sometimes entering through the voice is the best way to, to shake those up and see what's possible. Um, so I, I've worked with people's literal and metaphorical voices, and I could say a bit about how I ended up there, if that's something that you'd like. Yeah, to Yeah, I'd love to hear a little journey. bit about that. Yeah. I think it's, it's, I know some, you know, and, and it's beautiful. So again, I could probably speak to about this for five hours mm -hmm. all on its own, but I entered college already as somebody who thought that I was never going to sing in front of other human beings ever again. Um, I had been told that uh, I just didn't have a good voice. I couldn't sing on key. I had been told I didn't have a musical bone in my body. Uh, when I went to sing along in the radio, people plugged their ears and would get irritated with me. I gave it one last attempt freshman year of college, and I auditioned for like three acapella groups, and I didn't get called back for any of them, even the ones that were super desperate for male voices. And so I said, okay, that's it. Some people in the world are singers, and some people aren't, and I am not one of them. Mm -hmm. um, I was an actor, though. I, I was an actor who was very seriously interested in physical theater, and I got a grant my junior year to uh, go to Italy to study with two physical theater uh, maestros, uh, well, with many maestros there, and two of the ones I studied with ended up changing my life and helping me discover a relationship to the voice. One of them is a man named Richard Armstrong, and uh, turns out I had no idea I'd signed up for this, but his work was all about singing. He was part of a uh, singing tradition that began in the turn of the century with a man named Alfred Wolfson, turn of the 19th century. Uh, I entered Richard's workshop space as a person who thought of himself as a tone-deaf bass baritone, and within a few moments of meeting me, he said to me, oh, John, I bet you have a beautiful soprano. And I thought, what? No, that's not possible. Uh, and it completely busted my mind open in terms of what, what the voice, what it meant to have a voice and what it meant to have a true voice. Um, not only was Richard's work just technically uh, expansive, the ideas that we had these massive ranges that uh, we could only scarcely dream about, but it was also emotionally expansive. Mm. Richard was the first to introduce to me the very important understanding that the voice is the audible expression of the self. Mm. And so to work on the voice is to work on the self, to work on the self is to work on the voice. So that just busted me wide open. And I still wasn't ready to say I'm a singer or I'm going to be somebody who sings, but I became so interested yeah. in what was possible there. And the other man I met there, Thomas Richards, was doing this really fascinating, subtle work on the voice as a source of group entrancement. He was taking the voice back to its primal roots as a source of that when you and I sing together, we're not performing, we're not making art or music, we are creating a process in and on each other. And through that process, we can transcend ourselves and enter this non-ordinary consciousness together. Mm -hmm. And so I came out of those experiences completely lit up. And then it went into hibernation for a long time. Mm -hmm. I would like, I would reflect upon these experiences. I would do the exercises in the shower, total secrecy. Uh, nobody mm -hmm. knew really. Every once in a while, I might bring one of these exercises in for work with my theater company, but really, really uh, pretty much just my own private life. Mm -hmm. At some point, my theater career got to the place where I felt confident enough to cold call the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London and tell them that they should hire me for a master class to teach physical theater. Mm -hmm. And they 
said, that's absurd. We can't do that, but we will meet you for an interview. Uh, <laughs> and so they met me for an interview and we made plans for me to teach my first master class. And that led into uh, more and more work as an instructor there. And gradually I, st I started sneaking in this voice work that I'd been playing with at that point for a decade. And of all the things that I had ever done in my life, that was the thing where I felt the impact most dramatically. I would give somebody an exercise that Richard had taught me 10 years before, and I would see them open up into new horizons of themselves, and they would come up so profoundly grateful. And at that point, I didn't even understand how it was so powerful. And maybe I was just sort of lit up by the power that I had to transmit it, but uh, I thought I need to I need to do more of this. So I found Richard after, oh. after years of not contacting him, I found him. Uh, and he was in New York all the time, oh. and uh, where I'm based out of. And uh, we met, and it was beautiful. And we started working closely together in a number of projects. And I got to do a deeper dive into that work. And eventually, I felt comfortable uh, putting up my shingle to start leading group voice classes, a place called Judson Memorial Church in mm -hmm. New York City. And uh, uh, the person who set me up there was a beautiful man named Mike Abusey. I just told him, hey, I've got this voice work that I want to do, and I have a feeling that it will help engage people's spirits in a really beautiful way. And he said, okay, sure, here's the space. And for four years, he gave me that space for free twice a month to create these free group classes for people. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. That's where I plan. I didn't plan on monetizing it or turning into a business. I just knew I needed to do this because it felt so profound to mm -hmm. do this. And then people said, do you teach any advanced classes? And I said, yeah. And I started teaching advanced <laughs> Of course classes. I do. Do you teach private lessons? Oh, yeah, of course I do. And then I started teaching private lessons. Do you offer immersions? Yes, of course I do. And bit by bit, I just said yes to a career. And somehow within two years of saying I was a voice teacher, I became uh, Yelp's highest rated voice teacher in all of New York City, which felt completely absurd for me because I have not a single Broadway credit to my name. I've only had two voice lessons myself in my life. And at I that point, I wasn't doing that. any public singing on my own. Totally absurd. And my entire journey has just felt magically kissed by some fate. Oh, Jonathan, I, I've heard in various, I don't think I've ever heard the whole story together yeah. like this. And it's, I'm so inspired and moved and there's like you said i could talk for five hours on it like i could unpack this for five hours with so many so many aspects of it and i was waiting for you to get in that you're you went from the you can't sing and everybody telling you how horrible you are to the ranked number one on yelp <laughs> teachers in new york city you know yeah. of all places is just a phenomena and testament and you know we've obviously talked a lot and you know all about me and what I do and with yeah. mother code and there's so many parallels, which is beautiful. And one of the yeah. reasons I know I've felt so supported by you, but I think I even said the word midwife in our first call. I use that all yeah. the time. I, I tell new clients, I want to be a midwife for the birth of their voice, for the birth of their voice. Right. And, you know, I, um, I, I don't know if every listener who's going to, you know, pick this particular episode is aware of, you know, what rewrite the mother code is, but some of the aspects that you're talking about that I want us to dive in deeper and look at the parallels, you know, even more, mm. but, you know, to say generally what we're looking at are, you know, all the ways that we are, you know, disempowered from an aspect and, and I'm going to say women, but I, quite honestly believe as this is universal that we all mm -hmm. have a, a mothering aspect to ourselves, mm -hmm. and you know it's one, one of the beliefs about breaking is expanding this definition you know that we all mother and mm -hmm. 
this most important person we need to mother is ourselves. But we have, you know, and what I heard there and I've heard from you are, you know, beliefs that were instilled in you, you know, through your upbringing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of started at college, uh, high school, college. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's you know, a, but there's a preamble whole, to that for, for <laughs> whole sure. preamble to that. You know, that led to this, you know, just what seemed like such an obvious belief that I can't sing and some people sing and some people can't. And I'd love for you without me even like sharing like the whole like spectrum of rewrite the mother code, because you know it, um, Mm. you know, what are the parallels that you see just first in general, and then we can get more specific, but just out of yeah there. yeah and I, I will fully disclose that I, I had the opportunity to to sit with the the paradigms that you bring into the room with this mother code for a while now because it's mm-hmm. been part of our work but I think what is so gorgeously interesting about the voice and so gorgeously interesting about mothering as a concept is it's a strange intersection of uh, the body and culture. And the second we choose to engage our voice at all in public, we are inviting culture. And the second we choose to parent ourselves and to parent in any literal way, we are inviting culture in. It is very, very hard to engage in either of those bodily practices without engaging culture. And I think that's really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really interesting that there's so many violent paradigms that we view our voices through and so many violent paradigms that we view our decisions about parenting through. And a lot of those violent paradigms are passed on to people who love us. Uh, People who love us deeply teach us to hate our voices and teach us to resent parenting. And uh, it's it's interesting that mm-hmm. that happens. Then I think about care and love and, and pleasure. I think my relationship with my voice, sometimes I might describe my voice as my lover. Sometimes I might describe my voice as my best friend. Sometimes I might describe my voice as my parent. Sometimes I might describe my voice as my child. But in all these cases, there is just a really complex source of really, really rich sensual engagement. And Uh, I think when we're talking about uh, mothering ourselves as uh, the idea that's so foundational to your work, that idea that that we can be our mother, right? We can be our best lover. We can be our best friend. Mm -hmm. We can be the child we're parenting and we can be the parent of our child. We can be all of these things. And I think the voice uh, really, really presents this wide open uh, spectrum of relational possibilities. And in each relational possibility, there's so much opportunity for individual growth and transcendence. Mm. Well, that's so beautifully put. And as you were, as you were talking, I was remembering various ways we've worked together and certain things. And the thing that kept coming to my mind was, you know, early on you having me do exercises where, I don't know, I just made up a line and then you had said, okay, now sing it. Yeah. I, I, you know, we weren't, you couldn't see me or whatever, but my face went like into just a massive Oh, I could see distortion. it. Yeah, I could you see could it even, feel it. You even, didn't have could, to see it. Yeah. it like, I could see a cringe in total darkness. Ah, cringe, <laughs> like, no, don't make me, like, what could be yeah. worse than that? Yeah. Right? And I did, and I still cringed. But the out of that, there was this beautiful thing that you said that has stuck with me forever is our voice is a source of pleasure. Yeah. Is that how you said it? You know. Yeah. So if I'm having that negative feeling like, yes, it's about singing, um, so to speak, but that I felt about my voice anyway, whether I was yeah. singing or not, right? And yeah, being, okay, it's the same. Guess, Speaking and singing, are I, I view them as identical. Right. It's just the difference between like sprinting or running a marathon, right? There's a different pace. That's oh, it. It's cool. yeah. Singing so is talking at a different pace. <laughs> right. And there's this huge distortion, but you know, all these beliefs that I had yeah. and memories about, you know, and you have being told, like I was told in 
I loved singing in the choir when I was mm-hmm. in grade school. And then until this little boy like turned around and like gave me like the scowl, like, yeah. look, which clearly without words communicated that I was horrible, you know? Yeah. And I never sang again. And I, I yeah. say never sang again. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it, every like time you it. sing, you think about it. Yeah. On some so level, that, it's in the back of your mind. That totally. one insult from, from some child. Yeah. So to open up the space, but then, you know, that just seemed like such a huge leap to think about, you know, my voice. But then as I challenged that, and, you know, you had me challenge it with, you know, exercises and ways we work together, I could start making distinctions like, ooh, there was like, I I really like that. And you were saying like, you know, the sensuousness or, you know, your lover, your friend and, and being all that, uh, all those aspects, uh, I was starting to feel that. And yeah. I, I'm relating that to, you know, these beliefs, like people who will say like, well, I always knew I wanted to be a mother or I can't, I could never do that. Or, yeah. and just how they, we get these beliefs wired into us that then cut us off from, I mean, if I hadn't worked with you, I would have never had this experience. Right. right. And it was, yeah. you know, I'll give myself credit. It was courageous. Like what, am, who am I oh, yeah. like do voice lessons, right? <laughs> like that's for people who can sing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But I had a yearning for it, right? Yeah. Like I've always. I think we all do. To. I think it's a birthright. I yeah. think this is one of the things I was going to talk about when we start talking about culture later on. So maybe I'll yeah. save it. Uh-huh. Um, well, we could talk. I mean, I think because that. I mean, I think there is a, an aspect of like what's pleasing to the ear. Yeah. Even that, I think we're socialized into. Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. Um, and how we hear things and what's what's good and what's not, and our culture dictates that. Of course. Because right? yeah. I listen to some music and singing from other cultures. And I'm like, Ooh, like that's not yeah. pleasing to me. And that's yeah. not because it's not beautiful. It's, yeah. I'm it's a socialization. Yeah. It's a socialization. So yeah. I think the same is true, you know, with mothering, like it's still something that like, as a woman, you know, uh, you're not a woman if you don't have a child. I mean, those yeah. beliefs are, we're just barely starting to break them. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think the culture aspect comes in really big here. So yeah, let's talk about that. Hi, I'm so excited to share with you my 2024 Spring Equinox Self-Mothering Retreat that's happening this March 2024. And I would love for you not only to consider it, but to attend. But in considering it, hey, just knowing that you would be leaving cold weather if that's the space that you're in and coming down to just magnificently beautiful, warm, nourishing place of Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Zihuatanejo, meaning land of the goddess women, and coming to really take time for yourself, okay? And that I am learning more and more isn't just a nice thing to do or something extravagant or something selfish. It's essential. And I really want you to take it seriously to consider, you know, just think about what would it take for me to go? It's a five and a half day retreat getting from where you are, getting there, landing there, and then being in a space that is all about you. It's all about nourishing you. It's all about tuning into you, using everything around us, the nature, the food, the beautiful people, the rituals, ceremonies. I bring it, you know, we really bring it. And we go deeper and deeper as the days go on and we release, we let go, we bring in what is nourishing, what is empowering, what is that space of just really divine feminine energy. And we do it in the community of women. It's not for everyone, I will be honest, you know, if the idea of leaving and not making it work or it's just too hard, 
not for you. If the idea of, you know, spending that amount of time inwardly focused and going to that level of self-awareness doesn't sound like something you're willing to do or put the time and energy into, then it's not for you. And it's good to know that, right? So this is for people who are serious about what it means to mother themselves, what it means to take time for ourselves and that gift and what that gift can bring to us. It was originally right after my fall retreat, it filled right up. But now some people, it turns out, are not able to come. So I do have a handful of openings. And if you're listening to this and you're willing to take that step, please reach out to me. We can do a discovery call or you can put a deposit down. I would love that. And you can do that by going to my website, www.drgertrudelyons.com. Go to events and there you go. It'll all be there. There's a beautiful page there for you to explore. I look forward to hearing from you and then seeing you on my spring retreat. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's so many ways in which cultural influences really, really dictate a whole bunch of what our voice journey feels like. And for most of us, it just means that our voice journey gets totally shut down. I think first and foremost, there's the there's the myth of talent. Mm. Um, and this is definitely something that descends down to sort of the, the childhood home and the parental level, but it, it is something that's absorbed through culture that some kids are musical kids and some kids aren't musical kids. Yes. And uh, I want to fully dispel the idea that that at all dictates what your musical potential is. I understand that there's a realm in which people are are prodigies, right? That a five-year-old who could play a Chopin uh, while standing on their head, like that's <laughs> that's impressive, right? For sure. I think below the prodigy level is in everybody else. So I think that that myth of talent is really destructive to us. And that myth of talent yeah. was enough to shut me out of, like if I had not accidentally met Richard and Thomas, I would have just said, okay, there are singers and there are not singers. And as a cultural corrective, I had a lovely experience with a band named Makumba. Uh, it's a, a great band from Victoria Falls that everybody should check out. And they were uh, playing at Joshua Tree Music Festival many years ago. And uh, they were talking about how, where they're from, um, singing, dancing, and drumming are functionally synonyms. Everybody does it. You're not a musician if you sing, dance, or drum. You're just a human if you sing, dance, or drum. Wow. If you play a guitar, if you play bass, if you if you play piano, then you're a musician. Uh, if you learn one of the cultural dance forms, then you're a dancer. But if you are just somebody who sings and dances and drums, you're just a human. Mm -hmm. And I really love to think about these as, as birthrights and yes. birthrights that culture tries to take us away from. You mentioned a great one in terms of genre, musical genre, right? I might grow up thinking I can't sing when in reality, I just don't have a facility singing the expected genre conventions of the day. Yes. Like I think my voice, the way that I came up singing, um, I think if I had been born in a crooner's era, like Sinatra and Bing Crosby, I think something about the very sort of maybe caramelly tones of my resonance would have had an easier time being embraced then uh, than in the era that I grew up in. And then that's just within a single culture. That's just within American culture. Mm -hmm. Then what if my voice is actually more suited to singing raga than it is to singing pop music, right? Mm -hmm. Hindustani raga might be a better place for my voice to express itself uh, in terms of immediate comfort. Uh, though I believe 
deeply that anybody could sing anything they have their heart set on. Um, so some kid that were saying, oh, you can't sing, really were saying, we don't like the sound of you singing the popular music of our day. Uh, and that's so cool. Unpacking right. that's really important. Well, that has me thinking about a lot of things, but one I, I, I'm going to mention just because it struck a memory for me around this genre. So both my husband and myself are kind of in the the category of like, you know, not overt when we just open our mouths, like people mm. are going to go like, wow, right? I'm trying to say it differently than like we- you know, <laughs> I appreciate well. that. <laughs> and, you know, every year we go on these pilgrimages to sacred mm. sites around the world. And we happen to be in France in Taze. Mm. So I don't know if you're familiar I with- No, I don't know anything about Taze. Taze chanting. So Taze is a um, spiritual community- I think it's Catholic based now that I'm trying to remember that specifically, but I don't know if I'd quite say Gregorian chant mm. and we're in a service and it's all in French, you know, the, the, the chanting and, but I'm like, just for myself, like singing along with it. And so is my uh. husband. And this time, like people were looking at us because we were the only ones that could sing it. Uh. Like they're like, so you had what? a facility with that. Isn't that yeah. funny? Like, yeah. you know, I, I, I wasn't trying to uh. do anything. I just wanted to, play and engage with it, right? Yeah. And, and, be and sometimes a part it's easier it. to engage in these things that are outside the pop cultural norms. Uh, it was much easier for me to early in my voice work to try to take on something like Tuvan throat singing uh, than to try to sing a jazz standard because I had it I had a preconception that was really, really quite firmly scripted about what a jazz standard was supposed to sound like. Mm. Whereas because I wasn't as as familiar with the norms and traditions of tube and throat singing, I felt freer to do my own culturally inappropriate imitations of that sound. But in so doing, I was able to make some actually profound discoveries about myself, my voice, and to get enough self-esteem from that practice to go and start singing jazz standards. Uh, it's amazing how how it all plays together. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about this from this kind of bigger perspective culturally around mothering or even, you know, parenting in general, that there's these narrow ways that, and I, I think some of the, the turmoil and questions that come up for women is, um, or, you know, parents in general, that there's a right way to do it. Right. Yeah. And it's a limited and kind of just what we're talking about. There's a right way something's supposed to sound and it's scripted and there's tons of pressure. Um, so some just choose like, well, I'm, that's just sounds too difficult. I'm not going to do yeah. it. What I love is it opens up a space for, and what I really coach and want women to do is to go inside and parent, you know, mother, whatever it is that you mother, whether it's children, your career relationships, the way you want to, yeah. right? But until we identify these cultural mistaken beliefs and what we haven't touched on is our upbringing and childhood beliefs. Yeah. And we can say a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, I'd love too. to speak to that. Yeah, yeah, uh, we'll do that next. Um, you know, unless we consciously choose to look at those, our choices are going to be so limited and we don't even realize we're, we're making, we think we're making a solid choice. And yeah. We're, we're really not. Right? Yeah, yeah. I love that you said that you encourage women to go inside, and it's it's mm -hmm. the the reason why my my voice work is named Inside Voice. It's in oh, some yeah. ways an, an ironic play on all of the people who told this very very loud youngster uh, that he should learn to develop an inside voice, which basically meant shut up, right? Mm -hmm. And this is maybe a nice segue to childhood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, so in some ways, it's it's my it's my nod to those people. Uh, like you told me to shut up. Look what I've done with that. Yep. <laughs> um, but also, our voice starts inside of us, and then it emerges from us, and mm -hmm. then. When it reaches your ears, that which is inside of me is now inside of you. And 
the idea that I can't figure out what I'm trying to put inside you until I first discover what's inside me, right? Uh-huh. And I, it's so essential that uh, that our voices begin from the most profound profound understandings of ourself, both in terms of the physical part of our body that our our voice lives not. Uh, in our larynx, but two inches below our belly button, right? Mm-hmm. That's where our voice comes from. And yeah. it's so important that it comes from this deep understanding of who we are and who we want to be in the world, who we're trying to be, as opposed to who we're pretending to be or who we've yeah. been told to be. Oh, that's so, so true and so beautiful. And um, gosh, the myriad of beliefs that get wired in, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in our upbringing, um, you know, and kind of you're looking at it, you know, through this lens and helping us see those and break those beliefs, you know, through our voice. I'm looking at it through mothering, but any vehicle we use, because yeah. I'm I'm combining this too, right? Rome, right? All, All roads lead to Rome, right? Exactly. I feel like I'm mothering myself by stepping into breaking beliefs around my voice yeah. and and that like they're they're related, right? Yeah. I'm not like, oh, oh, now I'm gonna work on my voice. Now I work yeah. on this aspect of mothering, like. Yeah. It's all the they're, same. they're all so connected, which is yeah. so cool too. I'd love to speak a little bit more to the childhood. Uh, yeah, dynamics. please. Yeah, I've, I've given that so much thought. Um, it's so hard being a voice teacher be, in the way that I am because somebody gets on the call with me ready to like learn how to sing those high notes. And I'm saying, well, tell me about your childhood. And, <laughs> yes, and exactly. all of a sudden they, they feel like they're in this Freudian a- analysis. Um, but it's so essential. And yeah. I think the, um, the ways in which I think we all can get... I think when you in front of an audience say, think about the paradigms of parenting that your parents modeled in front of you, I think people can understand that quite easily. But, uh, or at least I, 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 when you say it to me, I, I get yeah. it. Yeah, I envision it. Um, and I think the voice one can be a little bit more elusive. So there were a few questions that I came up with mm. to help people understand the influence of voice in their childhood upbringing. Yeah. And simple one, how much space do your parents did your parents take up with their voices and with themselves? Mm. Like, did your parents take up a lot of space? Did one take up more space than the other? Did one police how much space the other was taking up? That's so such a huge influence. We see people who came from households where neither parent really took up very much vocal space. Mm. They're afraid to take up very much vocal space themselves. Or if they had a parent who didn't take up much vocal space, they took up a lot of vocal space to compensate. But being in dialogue with how much space your parents took up uh, with their voices, but when I say voices, I mean with themselves because they're Mm -hmm. synonymous. That's a huge one. Um, How expressive were your parents with their voices? Did they speak in pretty limited short sentences, uh, limited pitch ranges, monotones? Uh, or did they fly all over the place with their voice and uh, dance around and sing? And that's going to contribute so much to what you think is possible in your voice. Um, uh, how did your parents police your voice? Was it speak unless spoken to or you don't speak until spoken to? Uh, and in a more insidious level, like I see so many singers, adult singers, struggling with the ways in which their parents policed their gender or sexuality through their voices. Choices that their parents made in parenting to encourage their children to speak with deeper pitches, to speak with higher pitches, to speak uh, with different vocal affectations or wow. try to remove uh, things that felt like speech impediments, all because of the parents' perceptions of what that would contribute to an understanding of the child's gender identity or sexual expression. And that's huge. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I had a client who was terrified of the lower range of her voice. This is an adult client, terrified of the lower range of her voice because they felt that if they accessed that, they would somehow lose their parents' love. 
as an adult. Just to, play, just to play in a studio with me and sing those notes felt threatening. But I'd so get it, right? Like until yeah. it's brought to the surface, we don't realize that that, well, I think it's so cool because there there is a connection, you know, that we can find that, yeah. that, that, you know, reason, so to speak. But, oh, you know, this didn't happen by accident that I keep myself at a certain range. Of you know, course. Yeah. And yeah, I definitely went on a journey with you as you took me through those, <laughs> took us through those questions like, oh yeah, no range. No, nope, <laughs> very quiet. No, nope, yep. yeah. Right. <laughs> and that, that, that create, that draws the box for you. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have a lot of courage to break out of that box. Yeah. And same in mothering. It's, it's not, we don't even need to call it a prison, right? It's not, and it's not necessarily being done with cruelty or with Close-minded. No. It's just it's that's the parameters that you observe, and so you need to make doors where there are walls, and that's hard work. Totally. Well, and just as you're saying that, you know, it's not a prison, and we make that. Yes, a lot got wired in, and then, but then we keep that prison going. We don't realize as adults, like yeah. prison doors are open. I could step out of it. Yeah. But first, I have to identify that I'm even in a prison. What is yeah. it? Yeah. And then have the courage to step out. And sometimes yeah. that prison feels safer because it's what we've always known. And I know we weren't going to call it a prison, but I like the metaphor now. <laughs> <laughs> it is yours. Run with it. <laughs> or, you know, uh, that happens to like animals in a zoo when they've been yeah. up a certain way, but then they're given a bigger, you know, space to be in. They don't, they don't go into that space because yeah. it doesn't feel safe. And right. you know, I think it takes a huge amount of courage. You know, you're asking people to, you know, do something not asking people come to you, you know, but yeah. then you're inviting them into something that then does, I want to, you know, credit everybody who embarks on any, either any of these journeys, because it does take a lot of courage. Yeah. I love what you said about safety. I didn't understand when I began this work, how much safety I was going to need to provide as a transmitter and facilitator and teacher of this work. Yes. And I had to train in so many different healing modalities <laughs> just to develop an understanding of how to create safe, safer spaces for people right and i think for us to enter these processes where we're rewriting the mother code or rewriting our voice Mm -hmm. code and that we have to really understand not only does that require bravery but it requires safety to get to bravery yes and i'm glad that you're out in the world providing safety i know what a what a wonderful facilitator you are for the people you work with and i think yeah i think to to those people who are listening to us right now and saying, I'm not brave enough to go on that journey, mm. I maybe would encourage them to think first, am I safe enough to be brave enough? And what would I need to feel to feel safe enough to feel brave enough to go on that journey? Yeah, I love that. I think that's beautiful. And I was going to say, same back at you. You create you know, a very safe space. Um, I don't think I, I would have done what I've done over this last year, both even just in the sessions with you, let alone, you know, outside of them in life. (laughs) And I love it. And, you know, just these moments of like, wow, I really like how I sounded then, you know, would not have been possible. And what a pleasure people are missing. There's, we work so hard to bring pleasure into our life. There's a pleasure that's right there every single time we speak and every single syllable we say could be providing immense comfort, pleasure, sensuality, just for us. Forget about the effect it has on vitalizing the world, it can make us feel better. And we're leaving that pleasure on the table and saying, right. oh, I don't need that. I'm going to instead make buy myself a fancy dinner or take a fancy vacation, or yeah. I'm, I'm going to pursue pleasure in a much more commercial, transactional way, instead of this pleasure that's just there to be absorbed and treasured and bathed in. Oh my in. gosh. You, sorry. I, 
kind of cut you off, but I just no, got so good. excited because I don't think I've ever really thought about the aspect that you're talking about around pleasure around mothering before mm. that, you know, this, ex- you, you're talking about, you know, this expanded definition an expanded space that we can step into as, pl- and that that's pleasure, you know, and that yeah. it can be pleasurable, but you know, that it isn't just through giving birth to a child that a woman can experience the pleasure of mothering. Yeah. And I never thought about it that yeah. way before. Like that, that is, and I think that's, you know, culturally where we get stuck, like, uh, I, I'm just, if I don't, then I just, no, you're, you're not going to have the experience of giving birth. That's true. But there's so many aspects of it that apply um, yeah. that we don't have to feel like we've been a hundred percent ripped off of that experience. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I love the idea of, of, transitioning instead of like parenting as a responsibility instead of parenting um as our our dharmic duty or anything like that Mm -hmm. that that parenting is a pleasure and and people should do it because it brings them pleasure well right and we we tell you know i coach parents and we tell you know parents that the more satisfied the happier you are the happier your kids are like that's really the the point so i hadn't really put those together either i know we could talk forever but (laughs) (laughs) i would love to We've covered a lot of the main things, but I, I kind of want to talk about now what if somebody's listening to this, yeah. is it something that they can take away for themselves, you know, and take into their lives yeah. uh, in a way. And I'm pretty sure this is going to be aired uh, right around the beginning of the year. So we can even mm. think of it as, you know, how how can we start our year, you know, yeah. our with our voice, mothering voice, all of that. But what would you yeah. say to that? Yeah, I've got I've got three things that that cool. people can do at home. Two of them are mantras, and one of them is is just a, a an awareness thing. Mm. Um, I'm noticing in my own voice, and maybe your listeners heard it, that some some lovely texture just entered my voice as I moved to this. I think I was feeling self conscious yeah. that I have like three things. I'm I'm not somebody who sort of bullets things out like no, that as a human. Um, <laughs> I wanted to give your listeners this these takeaways, but um, I think that's a really interesting takeaway right there like that thing that happened in my voice mm-hmm. i'm not losing my voice and nothing is happening physiologically to my voice except some self-consciousness yes. that crept in and and it's okay for me to be self-conscious for me as a voice teacher to still get self-conscious with my voice and for that to show up audibly to your listeners is part of it and part of what it means to have a voice mm-hmm. and to be human all that said, my three things. Great. Number three. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to use speaking and singing interchangeably here. Mm-hmm. But anytime you're speaking or singing, start by loving the sound of your own voice. Mm. Uh, anytime you're speaking or singing, tell yourself, I love the sound of my own voice. I love what's coming out of me. And it might not be true at first, but it will become more true the more you say that. And also imagine that the person listening to you not only loves the sound of your voice, but loves whatever it is you're speaking about or singing about as well. So this is a relational thing, goes both ways, to love yourself as you're speaking and singing and to assume that the other person loves you as you're speaking and singing. I love that. You will speak and sing so much more beautifully if you go in with that assumption. Um, The next thing, and this is a great thing to do, Right after baby new year comes in, 1201 (laughs) and 2021, which I hope is much better than 2020 for all of us. And one way to make it at least better on an individual level is to get in front of the mirror and to say the sentence, hi, my name is Jonathan. I am a singer and I have a beautiful voice. Wow. 
and well, you should probably use your own your name. name. And not my I name. Know, I was <laughs> but to, and to notice what words trip you up. Does your own name trip you up? Does saying that you're a singer trip you up? Saying that you have anything beautiful about you? Just noticing the places that you get closed and making that a practice, saying it over and over again until you believe it. And until you believe that everybody else around you is also a singer and also has a beautiful voice. And the final thing is a saying um, that began, uh, I think parts of it begin uh, with Richard uh, and I think parts of it begin with his teachers, Roy Hart and Alfred Wolfson uh, before him. And it's the saying, the only real limits on your voice or on yourself or in your life, but the only real limits on your voice are the limits of your imagination mm. and your imagination has been limited. So is there a sound that you think that you, you're not going to make that sound? Maybe it's a higher sound than you think you're able to make. Maybe it's a more rock and roll sound you think you're going to be able to make. Maybe it's a sexier sound than you think you're able to make. Whatever it is, you can make it. Mm. And the first step to learning how to make that sound is releasing the idea that you can't make that sound. And I have seen so many miracles, so many voice mm -hmm. miracles in my years of doing this that I feel that there is nothing uh, beyond what I think is the realm of imaginative possibility here. Wow, what a gift, Jonathan. I'm, I've done some of those things that you're talking about, but I'm reminded and they're very powerful. So any one of them, you know, people doing would be great, but all three is, is huge, huge, yeah. huge, huge. And Another thing people can do in the new year is find you. And yes, yes. You, I'm sure you'll have lots of ways people can work with you yeah. in 2021. Yeah. And the, the one benefit of the pandemic is that they're no longer limited by geography. Right. I um, know. So cool yeah. how, how you've made things work and pivoted, but um, in person, online, whatever, I, I've, I know they're both very powerful. Yeah. Individually, you have intensives and workshops yeah. and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I work with, with people one-on-one, -on -one. I work with small groups. I work with large groups. I, uh, I, I basically, I work. <laughs> however, <laughs> however needs, I work to get the job done. However needs to be done, and people can find me and everything that's going on with Inside Voice at singasecret.com. Um, and I really like that website domain that I have, Sing I a Secret, um, because just in, in typing it in, you automatically have to sort of reflect on what's this guy about? Why, <laughs> what does it mean to sing a secret? I thought a secret, a secret was something you keep inside of you. Exactly. Um, com is how you could uh, book lessons with me. And it's really important for me to say, because I know that a bunch of your listeners are coming from uh, all walks of life around the world that I work extremely hard to make sure that uh, people can access my work no matter what their financial situation yeah. is. It feels so deeply important to me, especially in this time that we're living in, that somebody's discovery of their voice should not be limited by financial obstacles. We have so many other obstacles getting in the way of our discovery of our pleasure and our identity and our selfhood that I do not want money to stand in the way as well. So oh, I um, love that you do that. Yeah. Beautiful. You're a huge gift. And <laughs> thank you. You are too. Lots of people. Uh, coming your way, whether it's through this and all sorts of means, but yeah. I, and people can just say hi too. I would just love to, <laughs> if anybody just wants to share their voice journey or share something that resonated with them, I would love to hear about that. I love your voice. I love everybody's voice. I would just want to hear yeah. them and hear about them. Thank you so, so much. And I know I, I get to keep working with you. So I'll yeah, be seeing yeah. you soon. Yeah, forever. Hopefully <laughs> too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. 
If you love this episode, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that you can stay on the journey and continue to hear more about rewriting your mother code.